We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Hope everyone's doing well tonight. Uh, Late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, depending on where you're at. But uh, again, hope everybody's doing well. Um, In today's episode, I'm going to hit on uh, some interesting uh, transfer portal uh, changes for the American, uh, the AAC, Um, two teams in particular being SMU and UCF really doing some big things here over the past couple days. Um, I will also hit on uh, some interesting news over the past few days the mountain west and acc are looking into some some uh different uh changes to the to their uh, uh scheduling getting rid of divisions possibly so that that's a, that'll be an interesting topic and i have a interesting scenario for the acc that i that i've kind of thought up and brainstormed so run run that by everybody see what they think Um, In my armchair quarterback segment, I'm going to break down the quarterbacks in the Big 12. Um, Looking forward to that. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of new faces there, uh, a lot of transfers coming in. And then in the coaches' corner segment, I'm going to be breaking down uh, the University of Nevada, Reno, and their new head coach, Ken Wilson. So let's go ahead and dive into um, some transfer portal talk. Like I said, involving the American, the AAC. Um, first, let's, first I want to talk about a little bit about SMU. Um, just They've added a ton of Power 5 conference players, but just in the past week they've added a handful of Texas players. And, and I'll get to this with uh, USF South Florida as well. But I think there's been a lot of talk with – conference realignment with some of these teams and who and these conferences in general which which conference is best blah 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 i myself have said the new look sunbelt is perfect i'm a huge fan of that but i will say i do believe the new american conference is going to be set up pretty well as as well uh because of where these programs are located but one of the things that i'm really intrigued about and we're seeing it now um is like smu is in a perfect spot to land transfers from the big 12 in sec um you're in dallas you're you you have a program that is has had sustained sustained success recently and you run an offense that is going to attract uh talented players you you have a defense that is more than capable as well, plus a coaching staff who has developed players um, to the next level. So I, I think that it's it's a huge opportunity that they have to potentially become the cream of the crop in the new look AAC because of their location and what they bring to the table. So I, I, 
just them landing these big time transfers, especially the ones recently from Texas, uh, big time wide receiver, uh, especially. Um, it's going to just lead to some amazing things. And if you saw on Twitter or listened to the last episode of the podcast, my breakdown of the AAC quarterbacks, Tanner Mordecai at SMU was number two on my list. And I, I even went as far to say is he could he could have a special season this coming year, 5,000-plus passing yards, 50 touchdowns. And with some of the pieces that they have added via the transfer portal, it is extremely possible that, that they could do something special. They really could. So now I'm going to turn to the next team in, in this from the American Conference, and that's the South Florida Bulls. With the ginormous pickup that they had yesterday on Mother's Day of uh, Gary Bo- Bohannon Jr. from Baylor, who was Baylor's starting quarterback last year, who was tremendous last year. For Baylor, and for whatever reason, well, I shouldn't say whatever reason, but Baylor named Blake Shappen their new starting quarterback. Now, granted, he went three and zero as a starter, no picks, almost six hundred yards passing. I'll get to him in my Big Twelve quarterback breakdowns, but still, just kind of surprising there uh, how that went um, with that situation. I got to say, Jerry Bohannon is, has all the tools to be a very successful NFL quarterback. And I firmly believe he will do that at South Florida, potentially even in just one season. I, I, I made a statement on Twitter last night that has received a ton of reviews a lot of fantastic reviews from South Florida faithful, and then, of course, some very negative reviews from the Central Florida people, which I'll get to that whole thing, but it doesn't make sense to me why they're so just angry about it, but it, it is what it is. But <clears throat> adding a quarterback of Bohannon's level to this South Florida team that has already that is already on the rise. This is already a program that that last season was was getting to a point where they they could really like there are, you could see some some things happening. You could see some things clicking. And and I think it just translates by getting a big-time quarterback in this regard. Like Jeff Scott, their head coach, is somebody who you just believe in. And that's what Bohan had said when he committed to USF is he believes in the coaching staff. And, and I think that's a huge, huge thing because this is a young man who had a, a lot of offers. Um most notably Oklahoma. Um, so you you look at you look at what he brings to the table and how well he played last season. I think it just adds a huge spark to this team. And Timmy McLean last year as a freshman, in my opinion, wasn't awful. I mean, especially towards the end of the year, he started to play really well, and and that leads me to a point for him. Um, I think 
I think everybody jumps to the conclusion of, oh, okay, now he's going to transfer. In, in my opinion, if if he was, if he goes about this in the right way, why don't you, why don't you sit behind Bohannon, learn from him, develop as a player? You could even potentially redshirt, save a year, but and if it. Heaven forbid Bohannon gets hurt, then you can step in and you're ready to go. But at the same time, like you're you're now going to be able to sit behind a NFL level quarterback and learn from him and become a better player. And, and the similarities between the two of them are, are are there. I mean that there's some really good similarities between the two of those guys. So I think that there's a great opportunity for McLean to learn and become a very good quarterback in this situation. So so I'm really intrigued by that as well. And, I mean, there, there's some really good skilled players on the South Florida team. They've done a really good job in the portal, adding some really talented players. And I, I'm a firm believer that the South Florida team can get to six wins and get to bowl eligibility. I really do. I really think that they can surprise some people – and get to that point. Now, I don't want to go too far in depth on that because in a couple weeks I'm going to have uh, an interview on one of my Thursday night episodes with with someone from South Florida who is an influencer with South Florida. So I don't want to <clears throat> don't want to dive too deep into that because I want to save that for that episode. But one thing I I, I definitely want to hit on here is <clears throat> the UCF faithful. Very passionate group of fans. I, I'm not taking that away from them at all. But, and I completely understand with what I'm about to say how it's going to be going away. But I think this translates to everyone in college football. Okay, there is a rivalry between South Florida and Central Florida. And I under, like I said, I understand after this season that rivalry is going to go away and they probably will never play each other again because Central Florida is going to the Big 12. I completely understand that it's going to be that 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 it's going to go by the wayside and it prob- probably won't be a thing anymore. But there there's always going to be the competition aspect in the recruiting side because they're going to recruit a lot of the same guys. However, I, and this and what I'm about to say, I think it speaks to so many to so many programs. I grew up a diehard Michigan fan. So I grew up with a hatred for Ohio State. I did not like Ohio State one bit. However, even as a diehard Michigan fan, I still wanted Ohio State to be good because as the biggest rivalry in college football, but as a rivalry in general, you want your rival to be decent. You want your rival to be good. So when you play each other, it means even more than what it already means. So I, I I don't understand the perspective of UCF fans of how they want USF to just continue to just be down. Like this was a program in the mid two thousands and in even five or so years ago that was ranked like in 2007 South Florida was ranked as high as number two in the nation. Five years ago, they were back to back years in the top 25 to end the year. So, I mean, this is a program who I understand in the past two or three years has been very down, but this is a program that has had some amazing success 
in a program that should have success because obviously of where they're located. I mean, they're in Tampa. What's better than that? And add the fact that they are building a tremendous on-campus practice facility, a tremendous on-campus stadium that's going to change the game for them, which, which then is going to continue to build them up to what they can be. But the, I, I don't understand the thought process of of having your rival, of wanting your rival to be terrible and just be awful and have the games be blowouts. Like I don't understand that. I I want I want my rival to be good. So when we play, it means everything because it already means a ton. But just just think about. So, like this, the Florida Florida State rivalry of the past couple of years is nowhere near what it's been, and it's kind of lost its lost its per, like what it means in the world of college football because of how bad Florida State has been and how bad Florida was last year too. So I mean, you you want you want your rivals to be good because it just means more. That that I just I just have to say that because it just doesn't. Just doesn't make sense to me. I understand your your rivals, and you don't want in all this and that. But still, you want that game to mean something. You want it to mean more than what it already means. You want it to be what you're you're playing for a conference championship when you play each other that last week of the season or whatever it may be. You want it to mean everything. So I just have to throw that in there. Again, I'll I'll hit more on South Florida and everything that's going on there in a couple weeks when I have that guest on. But I, again, the the Bulls are on the rise, and there there's an opportunity for this program this season to really turn the corner. And and I personally think that the AC the AAC is going to be. A little down. It, it's still going to be a very good conference, but it's not. It, it doesn't have. Now Houston is very talented, very talented, and they could possibly be the team representing the G five in the New Year's Six bowl games. However, they are not at the level that Cincinnati was last year, where Cincinnati was a bona fide college football playoff contender all year. And I will say I have to give myself a little pat on the back for predicting them in the preseason to be in the college football playoff. So I, I, I do have to say that. But this conference is a little more open than what it was, say, last year. So I will say there is that opportunity for South Florida to move up in the ranks and to have that opportunity to to to. To make something happen there. So now I'm going to move on to uh, the scheduling um, with the Mountain West and the ACC like I talked about. Now the Mountain West has said as early as next year 2023 and this sounds like it's pretty much going to happen. I mean it's not a definite but everything that I'm seeing and reading sounds like it's pretty much it sounds like it's going to happen. But the Mountain West is going to get rid of the divisions which I think is going to be very, very interesting in the fact that so now, so then you're going to take the two best teams with overall, with the records and they'll play in the conference championship game, which I'm for that. However, there's always the possibility where you don't, where, 
one team didn't play some of the upper echelon teams. They played more of a lower level schedule for the conference, but that is what it is. But it, it definitely it makes sense because of the West and how low how loaded the Mountain West West is. I mean that you got San Diego State, Fresno State this year are probably the two best teams in the Mountain West, and only one of them is going to be able to play in the conference championship game if 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 both of them make it, which I I would definitely say that one of those two will, but. I, th- I think it's a great idea because, I mean, realistically, Boise State in most seasons, obviously not last year, but in most seasons, Boise State is going to be the team that represents the Mountain Division. So there, there's that. Air Force is going to be tremendous this year. They have a great opportunity, but Utah State's going to be great again. So, I mean, there's the, – so – but that that one kind of seems more set in stone that it's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see how that how that goes about. But the other one that I'm very very intrigued by um, right now is the ACC is discussing the same thing, getting rid of the divisions, and and Pete Thamel, uh, who works for ESPN, want. Uh, uh, tweeted out today one model being discussed is each football program having three permanent opponents uh, but not necessarily pods of three however I, I really believe that that pot the pot of three system would be would be amazing I really do and and, and I I go into the fact that if you do that, you then need you would then need a 16 team conference which this would require in my opinion Notre Dame joining the ACC full time so i i think that that is a very distinct option um i think it makes sense for everyone involved i really do but then the the next the next team in line then who becomes the team that gets added in is the question. I think I think you can look at a couple of scenarios. I think Cincinnati, I know they're going to the Big 12, but I think Cincinnati makes sense. You always hear the West Virginia rumors. I, I think that makes a ton of sense as well. Um, one name that I'm going to throw out there, or but another one that could make sense is USF South Florida if the resurgence turns into what it could turn into. Um, but one I'm going to throw out there, and I think it makes a ton of sense for every sport. And if their football program continues to grow at the rate that I think it will grow at, and my loyal listeners will know exactly where I'm going with this, but it's the Yukon Huskies. The Yukon Huskies. Adding them to the ACC at that point, once the football program gets to where it can be under Jim Mora, it's it, the trajectory is right there. However, <clears throat> I really, really believe that that this Husky team, the Husky football program, will get there. But it's the the other aspects that y- y- adding UConn will do to the league. 
I mean, think about what adding women's basketball will do. Think about what adding men's basketball will do. The Husky baseball program has over 40 wins this year. The softball team just just won the regular season title for the first time in 25 years. So, I mean, th- th- this is this is a program that then you throw in lacrosse and uh, uh, other other examples too soccer i mean you can go down the line this is an athletic program adding them to the mix is huge for the conference and i think it just it's just waiting for the football program and the football program is right there and i know a lot of people are shaking their head saying you're crazy for thinking that but i don't think so at all so the way that the way that i could see this shaping out if you go by the pod system okay if you add Cincinnati, I think the pods would then become Clemson, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Miami. Then you have the North Carolina schools together. I think this one is the scenario no matter what, where it's Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest, where those, where you, each team plays the other three every year, which should happen with the proximity of those schools and that rivalry going on there. That's what should happen. Then if you add Cincinnati, it becomes Cincinnati, Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Then you have Boston College, Notre Dame, Pitt, Syracuse, which I think is great. Then if if you add West Virginia, I think it just I think the whole thing stays the same. It's just it becomes West Virginia, Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Um, if you add South Florida to the mix, I think then it changes a little bit. I think then it turns to um, I think it would be USF, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Miami. You still keep the North Carolina schools together. Then I think Clemson gets thrown into the Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech group. And then if you add UConn to the mix, I think then it becomes Clemson, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Miami. You have the North Carolina schools. Then it becomes Notre Dame, Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech. And then... For all my East Coast people, all my UConn faithful, then you will have BC, Pitt, Syracuse, UConn. Huge for Northeast football, if that was the case. I think that would be the greatest thing to happen for Northeast football, if that was the case. And that would be a ton of fun. And I would be ecstatic as a fan and as a huge supporter of the UConn football program um, and the whole athletic department, for that matter. Um, for those of you who don't know, I partner with uh, Sidelines UConn and my friend Michael. Every week, I take some time to talk about UConn football a little bit. And <clears throat> during the season, we do we work a ton together on different things uh, when it comes to the football program. But I firmly believe that once UConn turns into what they can turn into, that the ACC or Big Ten will come calling. I firmly believe that. <clears throat> and it's it's only a matter of time, honestly. So now I'm going to go into my coach's corner segment, and it's going to be on, like I said, on Nevada uh, head coach uh, Ken Wilson, who, who after I did some research, I, I was very intrigued to find out that uh, I did not know this, but he is from my neck of the woods here in Illinois. He is from a little town not terribly far from where I live, Virginia, Illinois, um, and he played football and baseball at Division Three North Central, which, if you don't know, North Central is a powerhouse at the Division Three level. Won the national title a couple years ago, in fact. Um, but a tremendous football program. But his his uh, coaching resume is is rather interesting. 
Um, he he's he's in his late fifties, so I mean he's not he's not young by any means, but this is his first head coaching job, so kind of interesting there. But eighty six after he graduated became the GA at North Central, then eighty seven eighty eight became the GA at New Mexico, then from nineteen eighty nine to twenty twelve he served on the Nevada coaching staff in a plethora of roles. Outside linebackers, defensive ends, inside linebackers for four years, defensive coordinator, inside linebacker coach for two years. Then he stepped away, uh, became an administrative assistant, associate AD at Nevada from 99 to 2003. Then in 2004, he goes back to coaching, becomes the assistant head coach, linebackers coach for a couple years. 07, he becomes the defensive coordinator, special teams, or the safety coach. And then from 08 to 2012, served as the assistant head coach and linebackers or defensive ends coach. So a plethora of roles there. So then he leaves in 2013, goes to Washington State to be the linebackers coach for six years. Then 2020, goes to Oregon as the linebacker coach. Then in 2021, he becomes the co-defensive coordinator to Oregon. And now just this year, he is fi- he is back at Nevada as the head coach. So just just an amazing like stretch for his coaching career. Just uh, to be at Nevada as long as he has um, for over twenty over twenty years, almost thirty years with that program. Just just a. I kind of thought that was really amazing, uh, the stretch that he has been there, and the plethora of roles he's had on the defensive side as a as assistant head coach, as an associate AD. Just really, really interesting. Um, just an interesting role, and how long he has been associated with that program is just amazing to me. So you look. I, I, of course, I go into looking at their schedule from last year. They finished eight and five, um, and five and three in the conference. I feel like they could have finished better than what they did, but nonetheless, started the season by winning at Pac-12 Cal. Huge win for them to beat a Pac-12 team. Then they beat Idaho State. They turn around, lose at a ranked Kansas State team by twenty-one. But Kansas State was really good last year, so I, I don't hold that against them um, one bit. They they won at Boise State by 10. They beat New Mexico State pretty good. They beat Hawaii pretty good. They lost at Fresno State by 2. Beat UNLV handily. Beat San Jose State by 3. They lost at San Diego State by 2. Lost to Air Force by 2. Throttled Colorado State at Colorado State. Then they lost the bowl game. Uh, the bowl game was a was a different situation. I won't hold that against them at all because almost everybody on the rock, a ton of players opted out after the head coach left to not play in the bowl game. Plus, nobody was hit harder in the transfer portal than Nevada. Uh, just lose. They lost so many guys to the portal. So now I look at their 2022 schedule. Um, I'll look at that in a minute. But uh, like I said, looking at recruiting, um, honestly, 
they had one of the worst recruiting classes in the Mountain West and nationally, but it was because of a late hire in Ken Wilson and because of just the transfer portal and what happened to them. So it's, it's going to be very, very interesting um, with what's going on there. They, they bring in a highly touted quarterback from Hawaii that Hawaii really wanted, A.J. Bianco uh, from the St. Louis program there, um, big-time program there. But Oklahoma State transfer Shane Illing, Illingworth is going to have a huge opportunity there to do something big there. They, they added a, pl- a handful of uh, Oregon transfers, um, so they got some guys coming in who can really do some things, but it's it's the guys they lost, and they lost a ton. So, I mean, it, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what transpires there because, I mean, they lose Carson Strong at quarterback, who was an NFL draft pick. At receiver, they lose Romeo Drobbs, who's another NFL draft pick. Uh, their tight end Turner was another NFL draft pick. So, I mean, they lose – then they just losing as many guys as they did in the transfer portal is going to be just very tough for them to withstand. So I, I do, they're a difficult team to predict coming into the season. It really is because, I mean, obviously Ken Wilson's a defensive guy. And for so long, Nevada has been offense, offense, offense. So it's going to be really interesting to see what that turns into. Um from that perspective and to see like where, where they go and what, what I, I, I am really, really intrigued to just see what happens there. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. Um, like I said, I mean, you, you're basically changing the entire trajectory of the program. So, it, it, like I said, it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. It, I don't like I said, I don't know what to expect. I really, really don't. So it, it's, uh, it it just gets you thinking. Like, what what is going to happen with this Nevada program? And uh, and I'm gonna get to this at the end of my show, but I will begin doing, I will be doing all the breakdowns of the programs like I like I did last year before I officially started the podcast so it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see as i do more research on them um where where it ends up and where they go um just again really really intrigued to see to see what happens there but if you look if we look at their schedule going into this year they will open up on week week zero at New Mexico State. New Mexico State also a new coaching staff as well. A lot of changes there. But New Mexico State has a lot of turnover. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a game they can definitely win. Then the next two weeks, they host Texas State and they host Incarnate Word. So, I think it's very – now, Texas State's very much improved. Added a ton of players from the Arkansas State roster. But uh, – I think it's very possible for them to start the season 3-0 and before they go to Iowa and then to Air Force to start the conference season. Now, at Iowa and at Air Force, I do think they lose both of those games. But then they turn around and they play Colorado State, who 
a bunch of the players from their team last year and their head coach left and went to. So I think that game's going to mean a ton to them. I think they can get that win. Then they go to Hawaii. They play San Diego State. Go to San Jose State. Then they get Boise State, Fresno State, and at UNLV. So, I mean, I think it's possible for this Nevada team to reach bowl eligibility. But like I said, I'm going to have to do more research once I get to uh, my program breakdowns on where I think they're going to be. Now, I, I I think five and seven, potentially six and six, right? They're, they're going to be right there. I really, really feel that way. Um, so, so it's going to be interesting to see what goes on there. And, and like I said, I'm I got to do some more research and then go from there. But uh, just I, I'm intrigued. Um, I think Ken Wilson was the right man to get hired because of how long he's been associated with that program. So I think it's a big deal to get somebody who it means something to be at that program um, because Nevada is a interesting situation, an interesting program to coach. Um, so I think it's a great spot where you can get guys in the portal from the West coast and, uh, they did well with that after after he was hired. So we'll see how it goes there. Um, cautiously optimistic. Uh, that's how I'll conclude that segment. So now I'm going to go into my armchair quarterback segment on the Big 12 Conference. And a uh, ton of new faces at the quarterback position. And honestly, some guys that I am not very high on and some that I am. Um, some, one in particular, I think a lot of people are a lot more high on than I am. But I will start at the bottom. At number 10, I'm going with Iowa State. I'm going to say Hunter Deckers uh, is seems to be the guy because um, he's been there, uh, been with the program and everything. He was the backup last year to Brock Purdy. Obviously, huge shoes to fill there. Um, but I think it's only inevitable that Iowa State takes a step back because they lose so much. I mean, you lose Brock Purdy at quarterback. You lose Brees Hall at running back. You lose Charlie Kohler at tight end. The, the linebackers, I mean, so many guys, so many guys gone. But Matt Campbell has done a good job recruiting there. I mean, obviously it's one of the toughest places to win at, but and he's been able to do it. Um, but still, uh, that's I'm just going to go with him at number 10. Then that leads me to number 9 with the Kansas Jayhawks, who are who is a program on the rise. Uh, their head coach is one of the best coaches in the country. Um, to do what he did last year with that team, um, he, he did a, to win at Texas, um, just unbelievable. Um, but they got two guys at quarterback, two different types of guys at quarterback. Uh, Jason Bean is a fantastic dual threat. Um, I think he's a guy that they can throw in there in different situations to do some different things and really can do some things. But then Jalen Daniels, I think, is a guy, is going to be the guy, in my opinion. The final three games of the season, he had six touchdowns, and he was the quarterback, the starting quarterback in that Texas game. So I'm, I got to roll with him as their guy um, and kind of go from that. I uh, have them at number nine. At number eight, I go with the Texas Tech quarterback situation. 
which early in the process it was Tyler Shaw who who was who is uh, their guy, but then late in the season it was Donovan Smith. So that's going to be a competition to watch. Uh, I would lean towards Donovan Smith because of how he ended the season for them. And he gives them a little bit more of a dual threat option as well, um, which I think is what college football is more so turning to. Um, but I think he gives them a really good option um, to do some things uh, with a new coaching change there as well. Then you look at number seven, TCU, another team with a new coach, um, bringing back Max Dugan. Um, you're bringing back a guy who has had success. He threw for two th over 2,000 yards last year, 16 touchdowns. And he has a little bit of a dual threat ability, ran for over 350 yards and three touchdowns. So you're bringing back a guy who who has been there and done that and played in this conference and been through some of the battles. Um, but there's a lot of growth that needs to take place um, within that program. After, losing, after letting Gary Patterson go, um, him retiring, whatever it may be, um, it'll be an interesting situation there. Now, the top six guys, um, I, I go back and forth on these guys. Um, and I feel like these six you could kind of list in any which way. So I went with number six, Blake Schappen from Baylor, um, just because of a small sample size. Um, started three games, threw five touchdowns, no picks, almost 600 yards. So, I mean, he played really well when Bohannon was out. Um, and But, again, I, I just go back to I'm just really, really surprised that that they named him the starter, that they named him the guy already. I mean, they, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> question Dave Aranda because he is an unbelievable football coach, and I, I think that there's something special there that he sees. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what goes on there. Uh, number five, uh, I'm going West Virginia and their new transfer quarterback, JT Daniels, who who just was at Georgia, at USC. Um, he's, he's been around the block. Um, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to stick, but I think he's going to a system now where he can really step in and do some things. Um, he's, he's got to because uh, Doji transferred out and uh, – so it'll be really interesting to see how that transpires. I mean, he was the guy who was very sought after from uh, a handful of programs. I know Oregon State wanted him a lot. Missouri wanted him a lot. So this, there was a battle between some of the P5 programs to get him, and he chose West Virginia. So he's got a great opportunity there. I mean, I think it's a given that he's the starter. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it rolls. Now, the guy I have at number four, I, I really wanted to put higher because I think he is in a tremendous situation, and I think he's going to have a tremendous season, a tremendous bounce back. And it's Kansas State and Adrian Martinez. And I know a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I really firmly believe that Adrian Martinez now not being at Nebraska – not having to deal with the nonsense that he had to deal with week in, week out there is going to thrive at Kansas State. And I really think that they can be a dark horse team in the Big 12. I, I firmly believe that Kansas State can win the Big 12. And I know a lot of people 
are going to laugh at that or mock that and think it's crazy. But what this team brings back offensively and defensively, they have the best all-purpose player in college football, Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn is, if you haven't seen him, this young man at running back can do everything. Um, he's electric and special team. I mean, there's just nothing he can't do. He's got the ball in his hands. He's basically Darren Sproles from his days at Kansas State. That's why I really, really feel Adrian Martinez, with his ability to run and pass in this system, I think is going to be unbelievable because we've seen so many run running quarterbacks do so well at Kansas State re, even recently. So I, I really think this is a match made in heaven, and I, I really think that this is going to go over really well. And I really wanted to rank him ahead of the guy that I have at number three. And I think the guy I have at number three is who a lot of people are going to have at number one. But I am not sold on this young man at all. Um, Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers. His throwing mechanics are awful. Awful. Now, I understand his numbers and his pedigree are out of this world from high school. And he went to Ohio State and he used the system probably better than anybody when it comes to uh, just using the system and, and and doing everything that he had to do there. And then the NIL deals he's now getting in Texas are astronomical. Uh, but I, I, again, I have him at number three because I know that his numbers are amazing, but I'm just not sold on him one bit. I'm really not. Um, time will tell. I I think Texas is drastically overrated heading into the season, just as Quinn Ewers is, in my opinion. Um, but it, it, like I said, time will tell. I, I I will say it's better. College football is better when Texas is good. So I'm hoping Texas is good, just because it's going to be great for college football. But at the same time. I'm not sold on it at all. Number two, I'm going with Oklahoma, somebody we've seen have success um, in the American Athletic Conference is Dylan Gabriel transferring in from UCF. I think he's going to be able to step in at Oklahoma and Brent Venable's new system and just, uh, well, Brent Venable's being the new head coach at, or at Oklahoma. Um, Dylan Gabriel brings a guy, he's a guy who's just, battles and plays and does I mean he's a he's what you want in a quarterback I don't know how well his game is going to translate to the next level but I think he he is a very very good college quarterback and I he's definitely someone Oklahoma can win with um maybe makes Oklahoma the front runner in the big 12 so it'd be really interesting to see there the guy I have number one is the guy returning with the best stats and the guy returning to a team that can again win the league and it's oklahoma state spencer sanders um a dual threat guy threw for almost 3,000 yards passing uh 20 touchdowns passing then ran for almost 700 yards and six touchdowns i put him at number one because he's the guy in the conference who's been there and done that he's the guy who took his team last year to the Big 12 title game, albeit they lost to Baylor, but at the same time, he took them there. This is someone who's been there and done that as a player. He played tremendous in that Oklahoma game um, towards the end of the year there. 
So I, I give him the nod as the number one quarterback in the Big 12. But I really like this. I feel like the Big 12 quarterback competition for the number one guys in the conference. I mean, like I said, the top six guys, I really feel you can. I mean, I feel like you can make an argument for any of them. Um, I'm very high on Adrian Martinez, and I'm not high on Quinn Ewers. But at the same time, Texas is Texas. So, but so I really feel that we got to look at how this season goes to see where these guys end up. But still, nonetheless, super intriguing to see my thoughts there. And uh, I kind of uh, to conclude the show, I kind of led with, I kind of hinted to this during. Uh, during the episode but uh coming mid-june i will be starting up my program by program breakdown every day on the podcast twitter account at tnt college foot one every day from mid-june to the end of august i will spend uh time breaking down at least two programs a day sometimes more um but what I will do there is if, if you're new to the, I mean, this is how the, the Twitter account started was me. I broke down all 130 programs last year and now I'm going to break down 131. It, it is an extensive amount of research on my end. Um, takes a lot of time, uh, stay up late at night doing a lot of stuff cause I have two young kids, but it's something I love and I enjoy. And it was so much fun to do last year that I'm, I can't wait to do it again this year. I go conference by conference, breaking down every team. I'll start in the ACC and I'll end with the independents or I might end this year with the Sun Belt. We'll see. But nonetheless, it, it is, like I said, it's an extensive amount of research, but it is so much fun from my end. And I hope you guys can feel the passion for it when I come when I when I begin doing it. But uh, that will start in mid June, like I said. Uh, and every day, at least two programs will be breaking broke down. So it'll be it's gonna be a lot of fun there. Again, uh, I cre- I uh, launched a podcast merchandise store about a month ago. Um, so feel free to look into that. Uh, you can see you can hit the link in the bio from the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Go to the bio; uh, the link's right there. Um, look into that. I appreciate all you guys' support as always. Feel free to follow me personally at Coach underscore B Will. Please, please, please follow the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Um, you can always listen to the podcast on Spotify and a couple other uh, options through Anchor. Um, But again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a good night. God bless.